Jacob's story epitomizes our spiritual journey as we strive with each other and as we even strive with God. In the name of the one who wrestles with Jacob, amen. Hiroko blessed me with a remarkable gift yesterday when we went to Green Gulch for a Zen sitting and a simple lunch of food grown on the spot. After a busy week of classwork and frenetically turning over new leaves in my personal and parish spiritual life, I was invited to sit for a few hours and meditate on nothing save a blank wall meeting a polished wooden floor to step away from the chatterbox of the mind and watch with some healthy detachment the thoughts that drive me to distraction much too often. And I thought, what a great gift to be reminded as all practitioners of Zen learn to live that our hands, no matter what our worldly wealth might be, our hands are truly empty. That so much of what we cling to and strive for is an illusion of control and power. To cast the forms that we assume and take for granted into the void of formlessness. In Christian terms, this is to cast all that we care about and yearn for back into the hands of a mysterious capricious and ever-surprising creator who knows without knowing the way we do, who loves with all the abundance of the universe, who assumes our human form in the incarnation, dies at our hands, rises again, and then ascends back into the infinite formless void while leaving an indelible mark of compassion compassion with baptism and the winds of the spirit blowing through the human family. A mentor and colleague of mine here in Marin has been quoted as remarking how often he encounters spiritual impoverishment in our affluent context. As the old hymn says, the rich in things and poor in soul phenomenon of our place in the world. Is that as true for you as it is for me? Or even for our parish as a whole, for there never seems quite enough, even as we economize and do our best to squeeze the greatest value out of every penny we receive. It was the inevitable email that arrived about two weeks ago in my inbox from our bookkeeper, the summer cash flow crunch had arrived. But I'm not begging for a handout today. I'm asking all of us to stop for a moment and reflect. How others in the generally less affluent world make it rests quite beyond our comprehension much of the time, doesn't it? Despite the glaring reality check of the teeming billions of others less fortunate in worldly goods than many of us, there remains, according to our eyes, only so many loaves and fishes to go around. 
We live so much of the time in a human-made world of limited goods and resources and plot ways to engineer, drill, conserve, or otherwise smart our way out of the local or global meltdown. But it's in this way that we lose sight of the abundance that God is offering us. turns out this story of setting limits on God is as old as our spiritual story, as old as scripture and the oral traditions that predated its written forms. In today's reading from Genesis, we reach a critical turning point in the cycle of Abraham's offspring when his grandson Jacob comes face to face with the author of the covenant itself, Jacob's name literally means the supplanter, a reference to his trickery, as some of you will remember from earlier in the season, in stealing the birthright of his firstborn brother, Esau. Jacob then continues a life of striving with others, tricked by his father-in-law Laban into marrying Leah when he thought he was going to receive Rachel, and then toiling for an extra seven years to fully claim Rachel's hand, and then slipping away with both of them and their progeny in a counter-trick. And Jacob all along has been striving with God, bargaining over the covenant given Abraham. Jacob will offer Yahweh his allegiance only, only if... God provides him and his family with peace, clothing, and food. He has the arrogance to place conditions on a covenant that God declared essentially immutable and unconditional. In time, Jacob becomes the Marinite of Genesis. His herds and wealth grow to dwarf those of his father-in-law provoking jealousy even amongst his closest relatives. But still, this is not enough for Jacob. He must continue his struggle with God. In our reading today, after Jacob crosses the river with everything that he has, his wives, his children, his herds, he wrestles with God empty-handed during the night and is given the name Israel. And Israel literally translated means he who strives with God. A name that will be passed on to an entire people. And we are, according to ancient Christian tradition, inheritors of that name too. The shared inheritance we have with our Jewish neighbors is the inheritance of a people who strive with God, who wrestle in the dark with an unknown and sometimes apparently formless one, who demands everything of us and will not tell us a name with which to understand and bound this holy other. The God of Jacob, of Israel, of Jesus, of our spiritual ancestors and sisters and brothers remains a mystery unbounded by our human definitions. 
the ground of being who will not be pigeonholed by our limited vision, an understanding of reality with a capital R. For us Christians, God, as revealed in Christ Jesus, remains still enigmatic as ever. In today's gospel, Jesus overturns the disciples' expectations about the way economics governing something as basic as food should work. There is never enough. Yes, the disciples in the first century century live there, too. For all our striving with God, it is too often to place limits on grace. God, love me better, Allah Jacob. God, do not care for my enemies, or at least not as much as you care for me. God, do not forget me while you are caring for the teeming crowds all around. The disciples want God in Christ in a controlled, understandable reality, ideally controlled by them, governed by their conditions, the great ifs they themselves set, the conditions they want to place like we do on the life that we are so freely offered. But Jesus, who has been teaching his disciples and all of us patiently about the inbreaking of God's reign, what he calls the kingdom, he will not have anything to do with the life of scarcity. He insists that his disciples feed the pressing crowd in the late hours of the day, and yet the disciples cannot see beyond their meager means. Their imagination, their faith is so limited, they tacitly refuse to act on the grace they have been given. They refuse to multiply the greatest thing that they have received. They insist that their hands and bellies remain empty, and so therefore must remain everyone else's. So Jesus must show them. He must act. This is often the pattern of our journey as a Christian people. We attempt to bargain, to limit, to control, to hide even at times. We wrestle with God in the night, attempting to overpower our maker with our ideas about the way things should be. The good news is that God breaks through anyway. God acts sometimes leaving our hip out of joint to remind us who is really in charge as the sun rises again, to remind us of our mortal nature. God in Christ distributes the loaves and fishes anyway, and we are offered satisfaction by the grace for which all of us, in our true emptiness, hunger and yearn. The image of Christ crucified and offered for us is about our striving with God and our having prevailed. The teaching of Christ risen again is that there is a greater reality than the game that we think we have won with God, that grace plays beyond our bounded struggle. 
is that reality that we taste each week here in the Eucharist. In our gathering as a people on a shared journey, when we recognize, if only for a moment, that our hands and hearts are truly empty, and our prayers, for all their beauty, point towards the emptiness of silence, the place where the wall and the floor meet. It's with this emptiness that we truly approach God, only to be filled again, to be satisfied by something we cannot quite explain, and then find inspiration to multiply this grace for the world around us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.